Hello, and thank you for joining our Board Governance Podcast. My name is Mark Benars, PKF O'Connor Davies Risk Advisory Practice Lead. With me today is Larry Bay. He's a principal in our group. Larry has 30-plus years of risk advisory experience. He has worked with a number of for-profit and non-for-profit boards. Larry, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Today's discussion is about key risk-facing organizations. Boards should not take a direct role in managing risk, but instead they should be limited to just risk oversight. So I'm just going to jump right on in and just start talking about the risk that everybody's always focused on every day, and that is financial risk. So Larry, where do you see the risks and what could we do to mitigate them at the organizations? Sure, Mark. Uh, there are three areas I would focus in on uh, for a not-for-profit. One relates to funds availability. We have a slowing economy. We have a tariff war with China. And this could affect the uh, value of endowments as well as the investment portfolios. In addition, if the Fed reduces rates, then you could have uh, less earnings uh, generated from interest, which means less money available to programs and services. So it's important for a not-for-profit to think about what might have to change in the event that uh, spending needs to be cut. In addition, if you rely on uh, government funding, as many not-for-profits do, sometimes the program costs exceed what the reimbursement rate is. And in addition, not every not-for-profit has a line of credit or borrowing capacity. So there has to be some sensitivity to how we can sustain these programs and whether or not they uh, cover our costs. The third area is private funding. And that's important because some of the uh, more traditional foundations, okay, have been providing fewer awards with higher dollar value, and that uh, is designed to have more impact. However, if you happen to be one of the recipients that is no longer on the, uh, the list, then what are you going to do to wind down your program, or can you raise alternative funds? Great. So we know that financial risk is not the only risk that's in, in everybody's ERM program. So what about things such as strategic, organizational, operational concerns? What are some of the things that board members should be considering? Well, the first thing is the board should take a look at the strategic priorities and make sure that their mission is aligned with the, their program and activities. We've worked with a number of boards that uh, recognize that their mission was fine 10, 20 years ago. However, the economy's changed, technology has advanced, there's more regulation, the population is aging, and those perhaps that they serve uh, have different needs. So they have, to take a, uh, they have to take a step back and just make sure that what they've done in the past is what they choose to do going forward. In addition, it's important to take a pulse check of the board members because over time, as the board changes, very often uh, new board members have different feelings about the organization's goals, reputation, operations, and fiscal health. And it's important to make sure that we're all heading in the same direction and everybody's on board to be successful. The second area involves people or talent. 
and the board composition should be reviewed periodically to make sure we have all the right expertise needed to deal with the issues that we face and the types of programs we offer. It could be we need regulatory experience. Maybe we need a lawyer on the board. Uh, obviously, there's a financial and operational element. Uh, and when board members decide to retire from the board, what's the succession plan? How do we recruit new members so we don't have uh, uh, voids? And on the uh, management side, very often not-for-profits operate uh, quite lean. And having enough bench strength is important because if one key individual turns over and if there's no one to step in to fill that role, you have a, you've just created another risk. So, okay, thank, thank you, Larry. Uh, so another risk that I just want to talk about, it's, you know, it's coming up in the news all the time, whether it's a data breach at a service provider or they go out of business or there's a fraud there. Today, many organizations are utilizing service providers to provide more and more critical services to the organizations. And it's not surprising with today's you know cloud-based technology, and a lot of the organizations are looking to take the benefit because it's a lower cost of service or having access to experts in a specific area or even, even get uh, from a new revenue stream. So they give you those type of opportunities. But unfortunately, there are risks associated with service providers, as I previously mentioned. Fraud, data breach, service providers going bankrupt are concerns. And now that's why organizations truly need a robust third-party risk management program to truly encompass all aspects of the risks that Larry talked about, as well as other things and also to making sure your third-party risk management program covers the, all the stages of the third-party life cycle. And now those life cycle components, those stages are planning, uh, due diligence, which is really focusing on financial conditions, information security, business continuity, regulatory compliance. There's a contract negotiations. You want to make sure you address it there. Uh, all the concerns about rights and obligations of each party, defining those performance measures, renewal terms, and ongoing monitoring, which I'll talk a little bit about uh, in, a, in a second, and terminations. You know, obviously, you really want to think about before you terminate an agreement, you have a plan three, four months prior to make an evaluation as to what you need to do, whether you're going to outsource, co-source it to another organization or bring it back in-house. But the planning phase is really focused around the idea of internally determining what are your business requirements and is it in evaluating the level of risk associated with this. Uh, the next phase, as I mentioned, is the due diligence phase. You know, that's the area where you actually look at things, again, financial conditions, information security. Here you're doing a lot of the risk assessment, determining if, some, if an organization is either a low, medium, or high risk. Now, what do I think high risk is? I'm thinking about an organization that it impacts your, your clients, your donors. If they have access to that information, uh, I would also consider them high risk. Or if it's a mission critical process, that if you would rip them out of your organization, would it cause a major disruption? See, the information that comes out of that due diligence, you can also include it as part of your 
contract negotiations to address some of those risks. So that's important. That's a critical step when you go through that contract phase to address who's responsible for what, defining uh, remediation steps, and defining performance goals. And ongoing monitoring, well, if you have a high-risk uh, service provider, I would suggest at least looking at them on an annual basis. Now, things that you could be doing to monitor them is either doing on-site visits, if it's practical, uh, obtaining a system organization control report. That's what we call today a SOC report. And they, there's SOC 1s, which relate to financial transactions, and a SOC 2, which relates to IT transaction or IT activity. So, and that's an attest engagement that's being performed by an accounting firm that really looks at those service organizations' internal controls. It's a great way of really understanding what's going on at those organizations. And of course, uh, if you have concerns about their IT function, uh, you can also ask for things such as their penetration results, penetration testing or vulnerability scan results to see if they are remediating those high and urgent uh, vulnerabilities. So those are some things you can do. And of course, like I mentioned, also the termination aspect of it, you know, making sure that you have a game plan if you do transition out of an organization or if they go bankrupt, what, what are you going to do? What are your next steps? So in closing, board role should be limited to risk oversight. Boards can fulfill their roles by following up on management's implementation of risk management policies and procedures, following up also ensure that these policies and procedures are functioning as intended, uh, encouraging risk culture within an organization. And I, we see that more and more often in financial institutions where the regulators are actually evaluating risk culture. They find it very important that organizations and specifically process owners are in tune with what are the risks in their departments. And also it helps for individuals to monitor the, the regulations that are out there and how it impacts their departments. I want to thank Larry for joining us on this podcast. It's been my pleasure, Mark. And I want to thank everybody else for listening in to this Board Governance Podcast. Hopefully you'll join us again in the future.